Hello, welcome to Bookworms. It's the show where we read a book and then talk about that book. I'm your host, Alex. And I'm Joe. I'm Becky. That's right. Becky is back by popular demand and that she's popular and she demanded to be on this show. Damn straight. Well, welcome. Anytime. From what I've uh, gathered, you're definitely the most popular host that we have here. No comment. That's uh, my, uh, when I've surveyed people, that's what I also get. It says, you know, <laughs> less me and you, Alex, more her. Yeah, I've gotten uh, no me and you. Oh, <laughs> Becky. Yikes. I haven't heard that much, but I know everyone I've talked to, they say they, they like Becky the best. So people even, wanna... even her uh, bonus episode that she put out. So my <laughs> my ADHD just You're talking about genres. <laughs> Nothing beats a good genre. It's the chipmunk voice. It's what it is, yeah. Yep. It draws people in. Anyways. Sing some Christmas carols. <laughs> Anyways, what? Let's get to this book, huh? That's right. We read a book. And that it book was... was one of Joe's choices. Yeah. And he's going to tell us what it was. Tell us, tell us. So I picked the only non-fiction book out of our book selection, I believe. He says with pride. Damn straight. I picked Stiff by Mary Roach. It's the Curious Lives of Human Cadavers. This was written in 2003. Though me and Alex have the latest edition, which had some bonus material. I so have the OG Becky's all version. sorts of jealous because this is one of Becky's favorite books, which is why she is here today. I'm not jealous. I have the OG version with the toes on the front. Uh-huh. Anyways, I feel like we're learning a lot about you. Yeah, she definitely likes toes. I went off the show. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll read the the back real quick so people can know what we read. If you did not read along, which I don't know why you wouldn't read along with us, but I mean, it would give you a whole month to read it after all. For 2,000 years, cadavers, some willingly, some unwittingly, have been involved in science's boldest strides and weirdest undertakings they've tested france's first guillotines been crucified in a parisian laboratory to test the authenticity of the shroud of turin and help solve the mystery of the twa flight 800 for every new surgical procedure from heart transplants to bunion surgery cadavers have helped make history in their quiet way delightful though never disrespectful les simpson Time out of New York. Stiff investigates the strange lives of our bodies post-mortem and answers the question, what should we do after we die? So Mary Roach is a journalist, I believe, by trade and does some uh, good comedy writing. And she does it very tastefully in this book about dead people. Yeah, just to build on that, I've uh, never heard of Mary Roach before this. And reading her now, I really enjoyed the uh, sense of humor that she brings to what would normally be a heavier topic so it was uh, it was refreshing to read it i enjoyed it i read it as like a senior in high school so i found it adorable so but not too long ago no no not at all not at all <laughs> and if you enjoyed this book she's got a whole collection of other books like bonk and spook and gulp bonk is about sex case you needed to know yeah the, the, the titles are a little self-explanatory if you uh give it two seconds of thought so yeah 
Yeah. There's a I noticed in the back of my book there was an advertisement for one of her others really breaks from tradition. It's three words. It's packing for Mars. Yeah, that's a bunch of uh short essays that she wrote, not just a book format that like the rest of them. So, let's get into it. Where do we want to start, Alex? I say we start with the introduction. Introduction? Okay, you got something to say about it? I apparently did cruising very wrong as a teenager because I did not life lie on my flat on my back, like she says that cadavers do. Well, were you a cadaver back then? No, but it says that <laughs> it says most of your time is spent lying on your back. The brain has shut down. The flesh begins to soften. Only one of those things happened on my cruise. Yeah, I remember playing a lot of video games on my cruise. Well then. Because the, uh, the the opening line is, uh, being dead is not terribly far off from being on a cruise ship. Most of the time is spent lying on your back. The brain is shut down. The flesh begins to soften. Nothing much new happens, and nothing is expected of you. Yeah, I had that highlighted too. In a, in an, it's an apt metaphor, even though it's it, it might not be the most accurate thing, but it's a good introduction to some, some of Mary Roach's... Uh, she makes a lot of like really funny comparisons throughout the book to like this is this is like being dead in this situation and so she leads off with that yes i do enjoy how in her introduction she did distinguish that this is not about the process of dying because that seems to be a thing when people hear books about death they're like oh it's so horrible and yes dying is horrible it sucks but this is about what happens afterwards which people need to know about because there's so many different things that we can do with our meat sacks. Yeah, if you want to read about more about dying, Spook went a little bit more into detail on those ones. And she even goes so far in the introduction as to compare her own mother dying and talking about like the emotional lead up that you know led up to her, her mother's death, followed by you know just spending time with a cadaver and how it felt much more different than when she was still alive that bothered me even the first time i read it that she was 36 and that was the first time she had seen a dead person i was like the fuck i was four yeah i mean you figure most kids go to a funeral at some point for a grandparent or something some sort of old person yeah well well Alex, we went to papa's funeral yeah was, i think it was you 10 were, when my grandfather died yeah you were uh, probably I nine think or ten i think yeah. then yeah, I think I'd seen, I'd, we'd probably been to a funeral too before that as well. I don't know if we had before that. The fuck? I was four. You're a strange child. Quiet you. Now five, though. So yeah, this book is broken up into 12 chapters, and each chapter covers a different type of use for your cadaver after you die. And it's kind of the pros and cons and some comical interactions that Mary Roach had with the subjects she was looking at and the people that worked with them. Yeah, apparently it can be everything from like a med student final project to someone's dinner. Pretty much. Yeah. The first chapter is called A Head is a Terrible Thing to Waste, Practicing Surgery on the Dead, where we cover basically where we find out most cadavers are not full cadavers when they are brought in to be worked on. They to cut them up and you're working on very specific body parts and a lot of doctors of all sorts how they practice their craft and trade to make sure they 
don't screw up on the living. And we were following some, was it plastic surgeons in the beginning? Yeah. Yeah, they talked a lot about how uh, a lot of people, when they donate their bodies to science, aren't aware that the bulk of them are going to be used for plastic surgery practice. Kind of, and the, uh, Mary Rich kind of laments, like, I don't know if this is what the person had in mind when they when they agreed to this. But she does say it's very important. I mean, if you feel like you need to be cosmetically altered to be beautiful, that's you and a therapist's job to figure out. But, like, I was bitten by a dog when I was younger, and so I have a little cosmetic surgery on my cheek, which I'm thankful for. So it's all good fun (laughs) (laughs) she did have that part in there where that really just like botox i can't i'm sorry people but if you didn't know botox and maybe not botox exactly but some of those things have human parts in them like you're getting injected with us again and that led me to think about cannibalism is it cannibalism if i'm being injected with somebody else question do you think our neighbor realizes when she gets with botox that it's uh, dead people potentially in her. Well, again, I don't know if it's Botox, but she did have a footnote about something like the stuff that's used to plump up, plump up wrinkles and aggrandize penises. So, I mean, Magic Mike, maybe. I don't I don't know. But just Your is favorite it... movie. <laughs> yeah, we talk about cannibalism in Chapter 10. Uh, however, <laughs> she fails to circle back to the plastic surgery aspect from Chapter 1 to do that debate of whether Botox is cannibalism. I'm inclined to think it is. Because you're not, I mean, you're ingesting it, but you're not eating, I don't know. Well, technically (laughs) you're not ingesting it because it's not going through your mouth. But if you have... I I can't think of the term right now, but there's a different medical term for uh, it being injected. So like absorbing it intravenously? Sure. We'll go with that. (laughs) (laughs) And she also talks about how cosmetic surgery didn't used to take place under anesthesia well because they didn't have it yeah right and how patients were often blindfolded like i just nope nope i can't i can't imagine having somebody reconstruct my face and all i get is a blindfold here's a stick to bite on shot of whiskey so yeah that's chapter one chapter two you can just look see him just he's so disappointed in some way yeah (laughs) So chapter one is done. <laughs> we have we have just ruined his hopes and dreams. Chapter two, crimes of anatomy, body snatching, and other sordid tales from the dawn of human dissection. This one's actually like a uh, personal favorite of mine because it's probably the aspect of like the study of cadavers that I probably know the most about is body snatching in the 1800s or resurrectionists as they're called. He's a big fan of uh, like Burke and Hare, and which she talks about in this story, and it's just a, it's a really cool thing. Like yeah, those who are probably graves. the most famous about it. Yeah, like digging digging up graves and selling the digging recently deceased holes. bodies, or even full on killing people and selling the their victims' bodies to science. And the all the doctors are so starved for dead bodies to work on, they. Because it was illegal for the doctors to be cutting up the dead people because it was against the church. So they could only use criminals who were not part of the church. But there weren't enough criminals being killed in most of the countries like England and France to cover their medical needs. 
Yeah, and they're just more than happy to look the other way of like, I don't know where this guy came from, but uh, and it was it was I good money for the people uh, selling the bodies. They they could uh, make more in a year selling uh, about one body than doing their normal work. Can we just appreciate though that she also talks about the colonial vision Thomas whatever who served under three presidents? Like by 1818, we'd only had what seven. I don't know, honestly, no. But <laughs> you think after he killed <laughs> killed one, and you would be like, I'm not so sure about this guy. Like, I'm sorry, George. I didn't realize. Could have happened to anyone. Anything else on this chapter? Well, there is a footnote oh. that going on about feet again. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep, and it was about something about dead bodies, and like. To date, only 16 states have enacted necrophilia laws. 16. So this was, so I have the 2003 copy. So in 2003, only 16 out of the 50 states had necrophilia laws on the books, which is concerning because shouldn't necrophilia just be out of the picture or whatever? I mean, I'm pretty open to kink, but that is, that is a hard, hard line in the sand. I think a lot of states didn't really institute it until they had the serial killers like Bundy kind of going off on their creepiness with the dead bodies, the dead victims. I would Google for a more like updated version of that, but I don't want it on my search history. Incognito (laughs) go duck go. Hey, you were on that earlier, Alex. What were you looking up? (laughs) It's my own business. Using our internet. What is that all about? Chapter three. Life after death on human decay and what can be done about it. I loved this chapter. Uh, and, and a little side note here. That before every chapter heading, there's a picture. And like this one's Wizard of Oz where the witch is melting. And you know, they all have kind of kind of goofy photos before the chapters to kind of give you a hint of what they're talking about. And this is the one where she's going, I'm melting. I'm melting. So, wow. It's like yeah. I was watching the movie all over again. I know. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> 20 years ago, Alex, you watched it last, and it's just like yesterday now. Wow. So this one is all about decomposition, and she goes to the body farm at the University of Tennessee. Represent. (laughs) The body farm or Tennessee? University of Tennessee, where our grandmother went. But just make the distinction. Let's go volleys. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of my favorite parts was when they were talking about how skin looks and uh, I believe they call call it said as a as decomposition progresses you see skin sloughage mortuary types have a different name for it they call it skin slip or gloving I'm sorry that was just perfection skin slip like the walking dead is just full of it lots of skin slip it also sounds kind of like an STI not gonna lie she gave walking, me skin skin slip. Yeah, and The Walking Dead is actually, from what I've heard, pretty accurate, like in tracking the rate of decomposition in like the zombies, because as the show progresses, they get more and more you know, decayed as they go along. All thanks to the body farm. Yeah. What I really liked with this chapter was the fact that they had brought an extra guy to kind of play host and. He was doing everything he could not to have to go into the section with the bodies. And Mary Roach was like, 
nope, you're sticking with me, bud. You're going to have a good time. And then she kept saying awkward comments to him. Rice and you Krispies. could just see, you could just, you know, you could, in her writing, you could feel for him just like how awkward and horrified he felt for the whole time. Yes. Like there was this one point where their tour guide or whatever, or maybe it's her, says that you could hear the maggots feeding on one of the cadavers and how it sounded like Rice Krispies. And she then goes, Ron will no longer eat Rice Krispies or something like that. And that's just, that's such a visceral sound too. Everybody knows what Rice Krispies sounds like. So there you go. If you've ever wondered what maggots feeding on a dead body sound like, Rice Krispies. Can can you do your impression of what a maggot eating Rice Krispies sounds like? You had a feeling? Okay. I got a feeling. So one That's of the coolest thing about maggots that I ever saw at work, we had dug a hole for... Digging up holes. Uh, to uh, put some dead fish in, you know, a massive amount of dead fish, and we covered the hole back up after we put the fish in. We went up a week later, and a basically like a fountain had formed of maggots shooting out of the ground a good six to eight inches out of the, the hole that they had created you know, from just th- that much force. That was pretty neat. Yeah, a little-known fact about maggots is a lot of them are pescatarian. <laughs> Go maggots. <laughs> Joke had the reaction I thought it would. <laughs> <laughs> it also talks about at the very end, mag- what is the maggot diet? Oh my gosh, just let me tell you. Anyway, at the end, there we go. The end of this chapter, they talk about what it's like to burn a body. And as somebody who, who's most of my family members have decided of creep to do cremation it's just really interesting to think about what goes first what goes next the abdominal cavity going pop goes the weasel and then in college i did take a death and dying class and i had to shadow at a mortuary and we took a body to the crematoria and i got to see one in the process oh it is so cool it is so cool I mean, by the time I got there to witness it, it was mostly bone. There was a little flesh still there, but it was, wow, it was so fascinating. So yeah, that was, that was fun for me. You're so morbid. But it's just so cool. Like you don't really think about how a body burns and like the lungs, I think it said are, they're fairly slow to burn. Yeah, because they're almost all water. I know. But, like, you don't think of that. You don't? No. Oh. Because generally when I think about murder, I just think about finding some pigs. Uh, I guess I've uh, had to dig out enough lungs in my life that I (laughs) (laughs) kind of got that. Now who's the morbid one? (laughs) He's a professional lung digger-outer. Chapter four, Professor? Dead man driving. Dead man's curve. Dead man's curve. So... A lot like me, driving after midnight. It's about the same. Yeah, this one talks a lot about the use of human crash test dummies. And how we also used animals, which I honestly didn't think about. Lots of pigs. Mm. And sheep. Baboons. And baboons. Yeah, trying to find animals that have similar makeups and characteristics that we have. However, nothing really compares to the real thing of a cadaver. And like the trouble for this one is finding those ones that are almost like perfectly preserved so that you can track like the the full like what happens when they 
get into a crash. And again, they've been able to achieve great things as far as automobile safety with you know shatterproof glass and uh, put positioning steering wheels and seats in ways that will reduce the amount of impact on your on your body and she goes into a lot of detail about why they can't use the ballistic gel skeleton how they don't quite match up well enough they just don't they don't sit right and meanwhile they're trying to they're having to duct tape the cadaver that they're you know, showing her to the, the chair he's sitting in because his whole body keeps flopping over. And <laughs> Yeah, that research experiment took forever in a day. Yeah, and like even like a cadaver isn't going to be the perfect representative of a living human because like when you're about to crash a car, you tense up and cadavers tend to not do that. So you got to find like ways to show what's actually going to happen even if you can't mimic it perfectly. And not that I want people to die, but if you, you know, if you are a pregnant person, donate that body because being in a car and pregnant is so different than being in a car and not pregnant because of where the seatbelt is on your body and being female and having boobs that are bigger than a C cup is so different than somebody who has a smaller breast size. Donate your bodies, people. That's what I got out of this chapter. And also what happens to pedestrians when you hit them. That was also fun. They are not run over. They're run under. Mm -hmm. One thing that Mary Roach keeps going back is she keeps asking all these scientists and doctors and whatnot if they're going to donate their bodies when they die. And it's about a 50-50 split of ones that say yes and ones that say no. And typically the the ones that are saying no is because it's especially high in like the doctor's cases where they've been enough around enough people cutting up bodies where they don't respect the, the bodies. They're making jokes and doing goofy things because they've become so used to dealing with this stuff that it doesn't seem real to them anymore. They don't respect the, the person that's giving up their anatomy, essentially, to, to help, you know, help them uh, increase their craft. It's amazing what the human mind can just become desensitized to just through exposure because I think the average person you hear about like oh i work with cadavers it's like whoa like you see dead bodies every day you're surrounded by death every day but i think when you're actually living it you just it just sort of becomes your thing and roach did kind of get into that a little bit too in this book and it was just it was kind of interesting to see that perspective of people and how they objectify the, the bodies that get to them so that they can mentally handle and process what they're doing because this is a lot of trauma type stuff that they are potentially exposing themselves to mentally and whatnot. I will yell at a motherfucker cadaver if I have to. You would. I yelled at cremated people. Like, give me half a chance. Maybe that's because I saw my first one when I was four. I might have some trauma there. Possibly. But it's fine. Next chapter? Next chapter. What Next is it? Next chapter. Next chapter. What is it? What is it? This is the one about the plane beyond the black box and uh, the flight 800 and how they used the bodies to figure out if there was an explosion on the plane or if it was a malfunction and going through the science of how bodies are ripped out of uh, crashing planes. I enjoyed that's what he got out of it and out of this whole thing, out of this chapter, I got the way to survive a plane crash. Kiss your butt goodbye. No. 
be a dude. That is a footnote in this. It says, want to know how to survive? Be a male. Why? We are pretty special. Because you're dicks. No. Um, Because adult males were by far most likely to get out alive. Why? Presumably because they pushed everyone else out of the way. We're just special. Uh, Very very presumptuous. And that's if the plane actually is able to land without just ripping apart into a million pieces. I mean, let's face it. I mean, I've seen that Amazon show with the boys or whatever. Homelander totally would be that person. (laughs) Yeah, I think this might be... Roach's strongest chapter in this book is because the way she, just her storytelling ability, the way she creates, like, the way the doctors examine the bodies and arrive to the conclusions that they do, and she's, like, sort of traveling with them and, and, like, building up to that final conclusion of what happened in this flight. And something that's just sort of awful is how much we're worth. So in 2003, a body, a person was worth so much money, right? If you're going to save 15 lives over the next 20 years by putting shoulder straps in something, that's 15 times $2 million, that's $30 million. And the industry comes back and says, it's going to cost us $669 million to put things in. So the shoulder straps don't go in. So my life is worth less than their fucking profits. I would have thought that would have been obvious by now. Well, yes, but here it is in, like, literal black and white, and what the hell? So not only is my life not worth a lot of money, I also have to be a dude to survive. Things just aren't working out for you. They're not. They're not. Yeah, it's one of those things I think they'd probably come back and say, like, if it's going to be this dangerous and, like, we're the people taking all the risk with the flying the plane and assuming all the, like, we have to pay out people if things go wrong like just as soon as not fly or have airplanes at all rather than lose money on putting in shoulder straps it's it's kind of a a weird thing i don't know capitalism man it's cap oh legit word to your mother nowhere to go from that (laughs) (laughs) no we're already back to like 1990 with that (laughs) you're old you're old that is so fetch stop trying to make fetch happen Joe's just over there like, what the fuck, people? I'm, I'm just here to move things along, make sure we don't get too far into the weeds. Curmudgeon. Chapter 6. The Cadaver Who Joined the Army. The Sticky Ethics of Bullets and Bombs. This was a cool chapter, but I, that's because I like military stuff. Like a dweeb that I am. I also enjoyed it because it's talked about the other stuff that uses cow bone and pig skin based gelatins. Like marshmallows, nougat type candy bar fillings licorice gummy bears caramel sports drinks butter ice cream vitamin gel cap suppositories and that distasteful whitish peel on the outside of salamis it's <laughs> a very specific list yeah. well, i want to when they're going through all the candies how many vegans were reading in horror like i can't eat all this anymore <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh, this is actually one of the i didn't highlight a lot of quotes for this but uh i enjoyed it when she was talking about how they used to use cattle to test the impact of bullets and like the you know figure out whether the 45 colt revolver versus the 38 bullets what's going to be the more effective uh personnel suppressor and she get just concludes that thought was like ever since then the u.s army has gone confidently into battle knowing that when the cows attack their men will be ready 
<laughs> I just like her little subtle digs at the military throughout this chapter. It's kind of funny. Yeah, she does do that a lot. I like that I highlighted the, the last paragraph of the chapter here. I agree with Dr. Macris. Does that mean I would let someone blow up my dead foot to help save the feet of NATO landmine clearers? It does. And I would let someone shoot my dead face with a non-lethal projectile to help prevent accidental fatalities? I suppose I would. What wouldn't I let someone do to my remains? I can think of only one experiment. I know of that where I cadaver. I wouldn't want anything to do with. This particular experiment was done in the name of science or education or safer cars or better protected soldiers. It was done in the name of religion. Which perfectly sets up the next chapter. Holy cadaver. Jesus? The crucifixion experiment. This is where they try to figure out if the shroud of turn is real. It's not. I remember that was a thing back in the early 2000s. They were bringing it out of whatever storage facility and yeah. re-examining it. They were doing like DNA testing and uh, carbon dating, and they found it wasn't even in the right century. Can it's we almost just, out, of the ro- out of the wrong mil- millennia, even. Can we just accept that Jesus was a zombie? And ate brains. I don't know about that part. If he's a zombie, he has to eat brains. Mm, I don't know about That's that That's what part. zombies do. Just ask the walking dead people. Like, as a religious person... It's okay for me to say this. <laughs> You're going to get hate comments. Sanctimonious. No. Sacrilege. Boo. They're coming for you. Yeah, this chapter I thought was a bit of a long one. It's actually one of the shorter chapters, too. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I, as the book wore on, I was starting to, I don't know. I have passing interest in this subject, but I'm not. Like a full, I'm not into like a full dive, so I started I started kind of losing the thread about two-thirds of the way through. <laughs> Becky just ate the whole thing up. Yeah. The thread or oh. the mortal coil. <laughs> oh, 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 look at that. <laughs> uh, I hate my life. Do you have any comments on this chapter, Becky? No. No? We can move on? I'm just here. You're just here? Yeah. To tell us how much you love this book? Mm-hmm. Okay. Praise Jesus. <laughs> chapter 8. How to know if you're dead. And this part was pretty cool, talking about the beating heart cadavers, like people who are still, like, by, I guess, legal definition, like, still alive, but they're completely brain dead and their bodies are well, By down. legal definition, they are dead, but yeah. their bodies are kept alive as incubators so that they can get their organs donated without, you yeah. know, and have more time yeah. before organs go bad. Yeah. But a lot of people get confused because they see the heartbeat going... Or they'll see involuntary movements and think the person is still there. Yeah. But you can't, like, breathe on your own. Yeah. And if they turned off any of the machines, the person would just, again, just start essentially rotting. But this is where they typically lose most of the uh, donated organs for for people because the family members have a very hard time dealing with this aspect of it, seeing their loved ones lying there on a bed and not— under you know they understand it maybe on a level but on a the, the face of it they, they just can't accept that the person is is gone and they're going to be cut open and their parts taken away and flown who knows where i just have oh, i just i in, in theory i can get behind this like keeping a body pulsating or whatever until a doctor can get there and then harvest the organs but on another hand i get very enraged about it because as a female like if i have a fetus you could keep me alive just for that fetus 
So really, what is the purpose of my existence? Like you could off me when I'm 12 and then just use my body continuously. It won't work that way yet. Yeah, yet. That is the key word is yet. Anyway, I did enjoy, though, how Edgar Allan Poe made a visit in this chapter. I guess sometimes hearts, when they've come out of a beating heart or yeah, beating heart cadaver, they get they get super frisky. And doctors are like, what? What I found weird was how people think that when they get other body parts, they think they take on that person's uh, aspects. So like, there's one part where a man didn't want a heart that he was being transplanted because it belonged to a woman before, and he thought it would become more infeminine. And you know, they they actually had to do studies on this to see you know, if if it was real or just in people's heads. And sure enough, yeah, it was just in people's heads. They make up their own stories of who they got and start acting that way, even if they had zero information about it and were completely off base on what they got for or who the body parts came from. So you have to remember, most of these are internal organs, so it's not like you can... But that's not a far stretch to imagine when you think of the assholes who are like, I want the white blood. Don't give me the black blood. And it's like, friends, blood is red. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't matter what, what person that, uh, it comes out of. What was that book series that you were really into for a while? The YA book series where they were cutting up uh, Unwind? Unwind. Yeah. Oh, that's a mind trip. Yeah, that was a... I only read a few of those books, but that was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. How they uh, basically turned it into a capitalist thing for people, the ultra-rich, to get young people's bodies and... It was abortion without aborting mm-hmm. anybody. You could have, uh, like, 80th trimester abortion kind of thing. Yes, this kid's an asshole, so let's uh, send him to the farm and have him uh, cut up and you know, have his muscles put on some rich asshole who is, uh, eats 30 donuts a day. Or there was a religious aspect to it, too, in the books, where you could be a tithe. Ooh. You could be tithe to have this done, too. It's like, the fuck, people. But yeah, Neil Schusterman wrote that series, and he can give you in his articles about it. He'll give you backstory and how... A lot of it took place over in Britain, where I think he got the idea from. Someone in Parliament was a dick and said something like, yeah, we should take the homeless teenage population and make them useful. Dicks. Getting some very uh, Jonathan Swift notes from that. Poe Swift. (laughs) Chapter 9. Just ahead. Decapitation, reanimation, and the human head transplant. This one was disturbing. Talking about the dogs that the Russians worked on. I've seen some of these videos. I have too. In the, in the death and dying class I took. It was so fucked up. So fucked up. I do have to say that my professor was also a priest. So that added a level of fucked upness to the whole experience. Anyway, yes. The transplanting of puppy heads onto fully grown dogs to see how long they'd last. And they think the longest one was 29 days. So it basically lived a month. This, this poor and, animal. And, and That's how the, long the, it takes for me to get tired of a dog. Don't you have a dog? <laughs> yeah. Please do not. It's been, it's been more than 29 days. Decapitate it. <laughs> it has uh, many pu- puppy heads attached to it, though, by now. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's covered in puppy heads. Uh, there, there was a point to this, and it's basically... These Russian scientists were trying to get to figure out how to work up to humans, and they didn't. When a lot of this was happening, they didn't quite understand the nervous system and how it ran through 
the entire body. It's not just the head or the head and spine. You're, you know, once you sever a nerve, it's, it's severed for life. So they were trying to figure out how to, one, to, to do it without getting the brain damage. And then two, how to make it so you could have a, a human could have a full life because they were thinking immortality for some of their communist party leaders. So, and, you know, and from it, once those documents got leaked out to the rest of the world, people were like, oh, we got earned a lot of good science out of this, out of the creepiness of it, kind of like with the horrible Nazi experiments. Yeah, when it a, comes when it comes to Russian leaders, I always think I want those guys to live forever. Lenin, Stalin. Yeah. 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 Classics. I, I did enjoy um, towards the back of this chapter, the end of it, that um, the Pope comes into play. <laughs> And uh, there's there's a pontifical academy of sciences where a bunch of people every two years keep the Pope up to date on scientific matters that are special interest to the church, like stem cells, euthanasia, life on other planets. And there was a bid for them to change the definition of death within the church. So instead of it being the moment the soul leaves the body, it would be the moment the soul leaves the brain. Yeah, I guess that was a big debate among in the church. Because trying to figure out where the soul presided, is there arguments over if it's the heart, the head, a bunch of heads in the liver. And Mary Roach kind of goes into why the liver is more obvious than you would think for an organ for a soul to live in when you don't know anything about organs, internal organs. If you have a penis, is that where your soul lives? Just the small one. The small penis? What? Small soul. Oh, okay. Alex doesn't want to be here anymore. <laughs> trying to think of a funny joke, but I'm losing it. <laughs> Alex is just laughing too hard to be able to talk right now. Anyway, the next chapter. Eat me. It's the one everyone's been waiting for. Cannibalism. In the case of the human dumplings. Tell us all about that, Becky. You being the expert on this. Yeah, have you ever eaten a person? No, but during birthing classes, they asked what we wanted to do with the placenta. And I was like, take it away. Take that fucker away. My placentas were huge. Like you could have fed a family for a week on them. You have to say yes or no. They can't see you shaking your head. I think 10 more people just downloaded this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I had glorious placentas. All right. Kim Kardashian had nothing on me. Yeah, I have a bunch of photos on my phone because you uh, demanded you needed uh, photo evidence of these things. The nurses were very impressed by it. Yeah, the first one there, yeah. Like, I mean, I almost is, died. This, is, this but is almost bigger than the, the kid. <laughs> I almost died that day, but, you know, it's fine. But that goes into the, um, what was it, the, the Chinese, there was a book that the Chinese made. Um, the Chinese, I'm trying to think of the book's name. Materia Medica. So some Roman was like, this is what the Chinese do. And how they would like grind up things and put it in soups. Which, bleh. No, thank you. Yeah, they were big into using uh, human parts for medical purposes. Like like consumables. Like, oh, this will help cure your cough. Here's some bones ground up in soup. And uh, drink this for a week. I think, was this also the one where it was like, don't eat a polar bear liver? Because you will die. Was that mentioned that. in this book? I know, I know that's a real thing. I just, I didn't, I don't remember. Maybe it wasn't book. in this book. Maybe it's a different one. Anyway, there's a lot but, of books that, with that's in there. But this idea, and, and always, I always thought it was weird whenever they mentioned. It. I was like, why would you 
why was that the thing that everyone got crazy eating about these survival things? Then I, you have to remember that most of these people were British and they love their liver. <laughs> anyway, but the the eating of fa- of human parts is like a thing. Um, when the original CSI TV show came out in the first couple of seasons, the male lead, the older male lead, met a woman who was like a health guru and she ate people and she was like do you know how much vitamins and minerals are in a human's liver it's like she made a shake you know how many toxins are in a human liver (laughs) (laughs) and there wasn't that like ed kemper made chili or soup for people looking for who was the wife maybe it wasn't uh, ed kemper made a a chili out of her husband and then fed it to her kids oh that was like some Australian woman. Yeah, she had like knives hanging over the bed. Yeah. My, my favorite one though. <laughs> I don't watch enough true crime apparently. <laughs> Alex was like, the <laughs> fuck's happening? My, my favorite one, uh, what's his name? Um, Albert Fish. He was a big cannibal. They ate many of his victims. Yeah, and it's interesting in this book, she never really explores that aspect of like criminal styled cannibalism it's more just like the medical use of she also gets into like the uh, native use uh the ancient people's use where you know using it was a papua new guinea as an example for some of them that still there are tribes that still eat people and why they do it or why like old uh some of the more ancient tribes now ancient tribes uh would do it and kind of different body parts what they represented anti-abortion activists would also probably have a heyday with this because at one point it does talk about is it korea south korea or is it china they uh take aborted fetus material and they use it for like beauty products mm-hmm. i think that was china I hate to I see mean, that I hate to meet the marketing team that has to sell that well it was kind of it used to i guess it used to be if i remember right the book said it was an open secret and now it's kind of hush hush yeah she was uh trying to interview these companies about it and it was really hard hard to find and i think the one that she finally did get a hold of just you know was very matter of fact but gave her zero information on it Uh, so it's probably a lot like the uh 1800s you know body snatcher resurrectionists like you know we gave you the product and we don't ask questions pretty much and it was um it was interesting there was something she was a recipe called scream three times in which newborn mice were taken from their moms the first scream dropped into a hot fry pot the second scream and then eaten and how that is thought of as so grotesque and whatnot but then the next line is we drop lobsters into boiling vats of water yum and so just how we want you know one thing is so disgusting to us because that's not how we live but yet we have something similar in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, and I think like even like talking about things like hunting, like it's weird to me hearing about how they hunt kangaroo in Australia. I'm like, they're such majestic creatures. They're dicks. But, yeah, but then like we, we hunt all sorts of things around here. We hunt deer, moose, you name it. We People. We shoot it, yeah. The most dangerous game. <sighs> Do you know that story? Which one? The most dangerous game. I've heard it. <laughs> Uncultured <laughs> swine. Maybe we should stop grilling him, get him out of the fire and into the compost bin. Chapter 11. <laughs> so this is a uh, this chapter is always near and dear to my heart because it 
gives you alternative ways to be put in the ground. And I am very big into this, though my way wasn't really expanded on in this one that she was kind of covering some of the more new agey uh, extreme ways to make it more environmentally friendly for uh, than um cremation well and remember in 2003 there weren't as many options so do you want to explain your thought process right now or are you just gonna leave people hanging i can i i want to become a tree i first read about this in reading the dune series the, the last book official book that uh frank herbert wrote where when uh been a uh, grisset mothers would die they'd plant a tree over her and there would be some sort of fruit tree that then the community could you know, eat the fruit and have a circle of life and i was like "Ooh, i want to be an oak tree so i just i want to be just take my body put it in a shroud throw it in the ground put, plant a tree on me yeah i was, I was thinking about this composting thing or yeah, like t- turning into something uh turning a cadaver into fertilizer and i like had this weird thought in my head like what if i what if i put someone in the ground and a tree grows up and but then i go to like sell the house and like the people moving in they're like i've got to take this tree out of here then i got to explain to them like actually that's my brother it's all i can think of when joe says tree is the moose from brother bear who are playing i spy tree where's another tree and is it cannibalism well, do you eat acorns? No, I don't like nuts. Not what I heard. I thought we were supposed to keep this PG. Have a good night, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but if the nutrients are from a body that's underneath it, you are, in theory, eating the nutrients from the body. So isn't that cannibalism? No, because no, no, no. it's been processed. I mean, What do you mean it's been processed? You're chucked in a hole. Yeah, they're, up holes. they're fertilizer. You're just eating shit at that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to. I don't want to be turning like, like in this one. They're, they're they're turning people into fertilizer, and that's not what I want. I just want, you know, you know I know it's you know they're going on about how the fertilizer that the trees are able to get more nutrients out of it. But I just want to be just toss me in the hole. Don't uh, like, melt me down to like how the books know, used goop. to tell us about the natives and how they'd put a fish in a hole and then cover the hole and then plant the corn and the beans and whatever else they got wrong. Mm-hmm. You just want to be chucked in a hole. Chucked in a hole, put a tree put on top of me and I'll feed the deer. Then Alex can go shoot them. The lions become the grass. <laughs> nope. Nope. You don't know. The <laughs> he doesn't remember. I forgot the, the quote. <laughs> when we die, our bodies become the grass. And the antelope eat the grass. And so we are all part of the great circle of life. Okay. okay so, uh, Becky, how do you want to go You know, when, when the time finally comes? What do you want? I can't think about it. It gives me an existential crisis. So just toss you in a hole next to me? I mean, I think you, it's you more... Can be a, you can be a sugar maple? No, I don't want to be a tree. Ugh. I think it's more. But you, then I people can uh, tap you, you and uh, get Excuse syrup. Excuse me. And, uh, I am speaking. Get, get all your sweetness right he out of you. He won't stop. Somebody come get him. You asked me a question and you want me to respond, then you have to shush. I'm just saying, you know, shush. Giving you my shush. reasoning. Uh, guys, 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 as a librarian in, in the room. What? Uh, uh, shh. <laughs> I adore Alex. Of course you would. I haven't thought about what I want to, what I want my body to do. I think if I could choose anything. And it, it's going to come, I think, towards the end of the book. I want to be part of that human body exhibition so people can see me forever. 
because the idea of being put in a hole, I didn't know. No, thank you. I could probably get behind being burned, but don't put me in a hole, please. Leave you on the mantle, on a jar. Hey, you know, whatevs. Whatevs. Put it's you fine. next to the dog. It's fine. Um, I Yeah, whatevs, I guess. I don't want to be a tree. What do you want to do, Alex? How do you want your body to be treated? I'm undecided. Uh, this book definitely gave me a lot of options. I've always thought donating my body to science would be a lot of fun. You know, just get cut up and blown up and people can take notes about how all farty and bloaty I get when I'm dead in the heat. <laughs> but yeah, hopefully that's a long ways away. And um, I don't know. I think traditional burial, I think that's just been something people have for a long time been moving away from slowly. I know cremation's a popular alternative, but there's there's other cool things you can do that are probably way less you know, expensive and demanding on your friends and loved ones who have to handle your internment to the afterlife. Boo. So I took a non-committal answer. It's, it's great radio. <laughs> I don't think I committed. I just said in a perfect world. The only with one you, who's with made... With here, it is the perfect world. Are we living in Charmed? What? The only one who actually has an idea here is Joe. I'm and it doesn't really. charmed. <laughs> you, you are charming. Stop it. I think a lot about death. What can I say? But you're not the only one. I think but a lot about your death, too. I know. Don't you? It's now recorded, Alex. <laughs> You've made a grave mistake. He's just covering for you for when you kill me, Becky. That's all. I'm not going to kill you. <laughs> yeah, Alex is. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I wouldn't have somebody that close do it. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I don't know. I guess I don't think about the after part because... I'm not going to be here. And does it really matter? Like my meat suit's going to go somewhere. Some Something's going to happen to it. But that's not the part I think about. I think more about my consciousness and my soul. And I guess wherever my sack of bones lies is where my sack of bones is going to go. The, the soul bit, that's in the uh, spook book. So we'll have to read that one next time, I guess. <laughs> Season two. <laughs> Chapter 12. Remains of the author. Where Mary Roach tells us what she thinks about doing with her body and how it probably won't happen because her husband gets squeamish. Because yeah, more she, or less. Yeah. yeah. She basically she she wanted to do the science thing, but then doing this book, she realized it's not as glamorous as she had originally thought, and how she wanted her skeleton used to be hung up in a classroom, only to find out that they don't use real skeletons anymore. Yeah, I have a skull on my desk, and I'm trying to figure out if it's real. Like, I can't find a stamp that says it's plastic or anything that's, like, made in China, made in Taiwan, made in Colorado. It smells a little bit. I I borrowed it from a science teacher friend, and I refused to give it away. Its name is Sir Gowan. Anyway, but yeah. Um, I did appreciate, though, her joke about Harvard and how you don't really need to have a brain to go to Harvard. You just need to be a brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, she boils down this whole concept of what she's going to do to basically, it's, yeah, whatever my husband wants unless uh, unless he dies first, in which case I'm donating my body. Pretty much. And then because Becky has the OG edition, she doesn't have the last little bit here that me and Alex have, so. Teach me something new. We got an epilogue where she wrote a little tidbit in 2021 when this edition came out about how things have changed or not changed in this community or these communities that she looked at. Uh, one thing she was quite happy to see is there's a lot more research on the clitoris. Yeah. 
you, I think she was saying there was something about uh, when she first looked up on for your scientific journals about the clitoris, there's only like one or two articles ever. And now there's 43. Because now it's okay to flick the bean. Yep. And she tells, talks about the impacts of COVID on education and how that's impacted, you know, performing autopsies and cutting up cadavers because it's really hard to do when you are attending online classes. Yeah, she was getting worried that people, the doctors and medical students weren't going to have the hands-on experience that they need and it may long, not even long-term, have negative effects on their patients in the future. You know, I'm honestly not worried about it. I'm more worried about doctors who can't perform abortions. Is that fucked up? We're not a political. No, podcast. I'm not. I'm not trying to make it political. <laughs> it's, like it's like, political like topic. but that's bully. I'm not concerned about. I guess. Um, they, they've been able to perform abortions since the beginning of time. I'm sure they'll be able to figure it out again pretty quick. Eggplant. <laughs> uh, conclusions, Alex, on the book. What do you think? Huh? It was good. Good job. Thanks. Well thought out. Do you have a, a rating? I gave it four stars out of a possible five. Um, We're doing the 12-star rating system? Okay, <laughs> I still give it four stars. Um, I thought it was very good. Kind of just, it just, it, it lost me a little bit towards the end. Some of her, uh, she get, I enjoyed her sense of humor and her kind of light, light approach to this topic. However, I think this would have benefited from being like, 240 pages and not 300 shave it down a little bit because it's not my normal read and it's not like it's something i have a passing interest in but i think she gets a little too in depth did you read and a lot I of also, nonfiction, alex i don't read a lot of nonfiction now i also felt like the uh footnotes she gets a little too footnote crazy and it does end footnotes. up it does end up taking away from just the stories that You're she's wrong. trying to tell i, I had so a feeling wrong. you'd say that but yeah, no, I'm I'm not a big foot lo- footnote guy in general. I tend to skip over the footnotes unless they are written by Terry Pratchett. Footnotes are where it's at. Uh, your conclusions, Becky? Well, I have loved this book since I first read it. I know I you're, the, really you're the you're the reason why I read this book originally. The only chapter I have a problem with is the Shroud of Turin, because I really don't care. Whoa, whoa, I really don't care. Yeah, if you want to make the <laughs> book shorter, just take that chapter out. Yeah. <laughs> there would have been uh, out of your 60 pages, that would have been about 12. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Joe? Ah, actually no one cares. Yeah, I know. He has a he has an entire spiral notebook thing. Yeah. I, I write down all my notes. I don't just wing it like some people in the room here. Me. Hey, we've, He's talking we've about done me. An hour, like I am this. the problem. We're already at an hour. Yeah. I'll but get shaved down to. I'm the fun one. So I I liked the I thought uh Roach walked a the fine line of being respectful of the dead and those that work with them while still being able to tell the jokes and make uh, awkward comments that make uh, me laugh. Yeah, I'd probably say four out of five stars for me on this one. This is the second time through, I think the first time I read it, it was just so different from what I normally read. I, you know, it was like four and a half stars, you know, definitely something that got me into the rest of her books. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. You didn't really, after her what, first three or four books, you didn't really get it, keep following one, right, Becky? I've read all of her books. Have you? Yeah. Oh. Did you read Grunt? Yes. Oh. Which is why I almost made a comment about Alex's comment about how she feels about the military. I was going to be like, but she wrote a book. That one that one was scary for the, uh, the <laughs> uh, military, uh, the, the, the nuclear subs. 
that uh, stay yeah. underwater and get ready for a nuclear holocaust. So I don't. I've I've met a few of uh, those uh, have, submarine guys we have. that special. stay underwater for six months at a time, and I have a new appreciation for them. Yeah, <laughs> that's a huge thing. Like not seeing the sun for six months it messes with your with your brain. Mm-hmm. Okay, do you guys want to answer some questions for me? Or he makes it sound like this is school. I know, it is school. I feel learned. Being that I'm the the only non-teacher in the room here. We're going to Zoolander school for kids who can't read good. He's like the first year teacher who still prepares. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. At least I don't have to read from a script. I don't have to read from a script. You will, though. I will end you. <laughs> Questions? I am, Monsieur? I am working on it. Work Give faster. He's choosing his favorite ones, and they're all. Yeah, great. I always, I, I've been told that we, Do I ask too many questions here, share? and I am trying to turn and talk, l- lower it down to a, a more appropriate number, is finding stuff that we haven't covered yet. So give it's me a just moment. Just dead air, which I will edit out. Please don't. It's gotta be raw. In her introduction to Stiff, Mary Roach remarks that death makes us helplessly polite. Page thirteen. Why is it that we're compelled to use polite language when discussing death? Why are we often afraid to discuss it in the way Roach has done here? I don't exactly know what you want me to say there. Like, why are we polite yeah, why after we... after the death or like during the process? Uh, when we're uh, discussing death. You know, because a lot of people are afraid to d- discuss death and dying and what to do after. Like, you, as you said, you get existential crises popping up all over your brain. But that's just me. But like I so when my dad died, the pastor was very confused by my mom and I because we're there cracking jokes Mm -hmm. and he didn't know what to do with us. I mean, granted, he was brand new to the church and whatnot, so he didn't know who we were. Um, (laughs) He was very put off by it. And the lady at the funeral home, mortuary, whatever, was also very put off by my mom and I because we were cracking jokes about things. <laughs> They're dead. It's sad and it still makes me cry that my dad isn't here and that my grandparents aren't here but they're fucking dead and I can't do anything about it. And I'm sorry, Hitler was a dick and deserves to be called all sorts of names post-mortem. That, that one uh, for a turn there. Well, you didn't specify what you want to teach. So you're just like thinking like it's like why are people like well, so polite why, why people, or afraid uh, to talk about death? Yeah, why are they hesitant and, and why are they so polite and kind of beat around the bush about it instead of just being matter of fact and like Becky here, cold hearted? I'm not cold hearted. I think uh, coming up with just an answer off the top of my head, I would say it's because a lot of people... Well, I mean, everyone has to experience death at some point, and it can be, it's one of those big topics where you don't know how the person's going to take it. They could be cracking jokes and choosing to remember, like, a lot of the good times, or they could be absolutely heartbroken and unable to cope with the loss of somebody. You know, I've experienced both things, so I think... When it comes to addressing death, it's better to tread lightly and get a feel for what a person is going through and what 
what they're comfortable with saying and doing before you, you know, start cracking jokes and taking things lightly and and cuz that can it's it's good i think sometimes to joke about dark subjects and it's it's good to it can be cathartic to joke about death and losing you know people close to you but it's also something you want to make sure that other people are okay with before you cuz otherwise it might just be coming off as insensitive or not caring so i've heard a recent theory last few years that says you know, Americans, ha- is it, this is particularly an American problem because we basically farm out everything until, you know, as soon as a person dies, we just ship the body off. We try not to, we, we maybe look at it briefly and then it goes to the whoever we're sending it to. And then at the funeral, we see it briefly and they've been so pumped full of chemicals and everything and you got makeup on them. So they just, they look like they're just sleeping and then we bury them and we try not to talk about it where a lot of other countries are a lot more hands-on and they have more rituals and whatnot and dealing with the dead and again they're, they're just it's right there so they're they're able to see it all and they're seeing the decomposition and they're, they're able to process it better as a just part of life and uh, us americans we're just we're so terrified of it because we haven't dealt with it well that's a fairly recent phenomenon yeah because even in the earlier part of the 20th century, like you would still have funerals at your house. That was a post-World War II thing that came yeah. out. I will be gentle with whoever comes to me and talks about death and dying. Roach discovered that students in anatomy classes tend not to enjoy touching and smelling cadavers, even though they relish the opportunity to study them. Does this surprise you? Why might someone want to work with a cadaver? I cut up a cadaver cat in human anatomy and physiology and it doesn't surprise me because they smell and not in a decomp way it's just very chemical so it kind of burns at least it burned my nostrils and it felt you know how when you touch bleach and your fingers get filmy because that's your body turning into soap that's what it feels like and it's just we don't talk about fight club shut up (laughs) why would you say anything about it See, I always loved those classes where I got to cut things up. I loved it too, but that might be a reason why they don't like it. Yeah, there's something, uh, there's a difference between like thinking it versus actually doing it and standing there with a uh, dead body in front of you and they give you a saw and they're like, all right, cut the hand off. It's, It's different than, you know, like thinking about how this process works. So you don't know until you know. Mm hmm. Do you think that the humanitarian benefit of experimenting on cadavers can outweigh any potential breach of respect for the dead? Why? So should we continue doing it? Yeah. 100%. Just like I still think we should test on animals. I'm a horrible human being. Sorry. Yeah, even if the students are being callous and disrespectful, like it's they're cadavers and the that cadaver's loved ones are never going to be nearby when something like that is occurring hopefully so like if they're being a little rough and gruff with about it then it's i think the benefits still far outweigh the the uh, negatives and if you know if they're being used in ways that might not be what the what the person signed on for when they donated their bodies i think whatever they're being whatever they're being put to use for 
can be beneficial in learning and helping us advance as a society. I have nothing else to really add to that one. But Is it because I'm so smart and well-spoken? Oh, no, that was more Becky. Yeah, I meant Becky. <laughs> Thank you, Becky. What do you think about how we uh, link the physical human body to the human soul? So, like, is the you know the argument about whether where the soul is residing supposedly if it's in the head, the heart, the liver, the penis, the penis. So, Becky, does that mean you have no soul? Probably. It's not the whole soul down there. It's just like just the tip. <laughs> just the important bits. Does your soul get smaller if you've been circumcised? <laughs> just when it gets cold. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. I think it's weird. Well, do you believe in the soul? I still have this thing is if matter is never created or destroyed, like what happens? Our, our, is our soul, is our consciousness matter? No, <clears throat> it's just electrical chemicals in the brain that are uh, bouncing off. And when there's no more, you know, up until that point, happen, you were doing they just so kind of well. break down and are eaten by grubs and worms and all that fun stuff turn into dirt. Dirt. Joe Dirt. Dear God, help us. Yes, the uh, human soul lives in Joe Dirt. <laughs> yeah, I don't have much to add to that. I think, I mean, Mary Roche talks about the ex- potential existence of a soul. Like, the really only proof that there is, like, a scientifically is one is that there's, uh, yeah, like, you lose, like, a the 16th of a pound when you die. But So, no, uh, so they, she actually has, uh, if you read Spook, they actually have tested that, and they can't, there's no conclusive, uh, evidence that you lose that weight or if it's coming off of something else yeah i mean it could be a number of things like so it's, I, I shouldn't uh, say proof i should say like even like remote evidence yeah of there being. but but say if you read spook you'll get you know more detail into that one so read more mary roach books i got so many books to read yeah we're just adding to your tbrs for books you'll never read yeah. humans are lousy livestock because you have to give them more food to feed them than you'd gain in the end by eating them how do you react to this? Uh, I guess it's good, right? You read the book Meat by uh, DeLacy, right? No. No, you read his other one, The Garbage Man? Yeah. Okay. Because he had one where people, they turn people into livestock, and they cut their big toes off so they can't run away. I mean, there's that whole, uh, like, Soylent Green is People thing, like that was 70s movie, Soylent Green, Charlton mm-hmm. Heston, classic, wow. But yeah, that's, I mean... I think it's probably a good thing that we're not harvesting each other for food. Any comments, Becky? I guess people got to eat. I don't know. I talked in the book <laughs> somewhere that, um, was it regions in China during starvation periods? There were pockets that just developed a taste for human flesh because that was the available food. And while it's disturbing as all get out. Well, I mean, there's like, plenty of examples like the potato famine and the Donner Party and you know, where extreme situations, people will do what they have to do. And I would, I would think beyond feeding us that we would just be horrible livestock because there's a very large population that is constantly just like, would you just sit down and be quiet? And they range from the age of like nine to twenty-one, all genders. Will human composting gain traction? What barriers are going to keep it from becoming popular? Well, she wrote this book 20 years ago, and I only learned about it last month. And she did in her thing say that it hasn't really gained traction in the 18 years. But she did also mention that 
cremating took a long time to gain traction, but now it's the number one form of dealing with dead bodies. I think we have to change our idea of what composting a human body would be. Because, yeah, if it's just talk, tossing Uncle Steve on a compost bin outside the back door, <laughs> then, yeah, people are probably not going to be like, woohoo, let's go for it. But there are what the weird compost boxes where they like put shrooms on you mm-hmm. and whatnot. Like that would be a different idea. So I think just getting the idea of what it means to be composted is probably going to help. Yeah, I think the the mental picture of the being turned to a brown sludge or a gray sludge is you know the examples in the books they were turning people in is kind of turn off. And then since the book was written, all the crime dramas on TV where people are being broken down by lime or whatever, and they just they that's what they're picturing and. I think that'd be a hard sell. Yeah, I think like anything else that, you know, any other paradigm shift that you're trying to do takes decades of campaigning and advocacy and throwing money at it. So I think if they wanted to gain traction, it's going to take a long time, cost a lot of money, and uh, it's going to take up a lot of people's lifetimes for it to become more of a normative thing. And... See, we've already burned uh, my last question and my thesis question, so I guess we can... Go us. End this a little earlier. Does that mean we're smarter than teacher? Yeah. What the hell, people? I'll just edit that out and find a note that Alex What was your thesis question, anyway? Where did we go when we die? Yeah, it was... What do you want to do with your body when you die? Yeah. All I want to do is have some... We all gave committal answers. I got a feeling... With a real answer there. I'm the only one that's thought about it. So I'll get to choose what to do with your bodies, since you guys are indecisive. I'm a, it's a meat suit. Like I am not here. My body's filing. Just a don't fuck me, because that's disgusting. I'm sorry, that's disgusting. Don't have sex well, with a dead body. We'll send your body to Tennessee or life. Fine, I will be. I will gladly lay upon the earth in Tennessee. I will probably, if I were conscious, probably not enjoy it, because you know. Mm, that Mason Dixon line and I have some problems, but whatevs expose me to the elements. I don't care. String me up in that wonderful exhibit so I can be in Vegas forever. Okay. That's the book stiff. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. Squee! So much fun. Uh, I hope you guys actually read it. I mean, who knows if you guys are actually reading these books, but we stop hope you scolding are. your audience. Yeah. Come on. They just want to read the damn books. You have one follower. Be nice to them. That one follower is me. I was going to say it's Becky, who's here. <laughs> <laughs> Who hasn't downloaded our uh, last few episodes, by the I'm way. sorry, Adam. Yes, check out our treatment of hopscotch. You'll you'll never want to read it again. So, Alex, what's our next book? Oh, yes. I'm really excited for this one. It's real nice. This one's... I haven't, I haven't actually read this one. This will be a, a first time through for me. Uh, I have read uh, three other books from this series, so this is uh, this is weird. We're starting on book four, talking about this one. It's like uh, a romance It's one of those novel. series that it helps if you read the whole thing in order, but you don't have to, which yeah. I did not do. Yeah, I read the first three in preparation for this upcoming episode, and I'm working. I'm wor- I, d- I just began the fourth one, uh, which we're going to read. It's by he's probably the best crime fiction writer I've read in a long, long time. Uh, this book is called Gone Baby Gone by Dennis Lehane. And for all you local people, it's a Boston-centric book, so excitement. 
Yeah, it's based Boston out of is usually Chester. the forgotten city that no one thinks of when they do uh, writing about. I enjoy how you said local people for Boston, as if Boston encompasses all of New England because it's so it, small here. It does. Everyone, everyone in New, everyone in New England uh, kind of has a soft spot for Boston, even if they hate it while they're there. I mean, go Red Sox. I don't know. I was, I was in Boston this past week, and I I, I hate Boston. <laughs> <laughs> it's good in small doses. I got, I got a love-hate relationship with Boston. I, I go there once a year on St. Patrick's weekend for a concert, and then I purposely avoid any times I have to go again. But that's just because you hate cities. It's good if you're I not driving. I hate people driving. in general. So, <gasps> Did you hear that? He hates us. Oh, darn. But yeah, Dennis Lehane, he's uh, quite excellent. He's written a lot of... A lot of bangers. The first thing I read from was uh, Mystic River, which is uh, is really was really good. He also wrote uh, Shutter Island, which is obviously a famous movie nowadays. Those are both good movies. Yes, both good movies, Oscar winning movies, no big deal. But yeah, he uh, he's got this way of writing where like even though it's you know crime fiction, which generally is not doesn't have the best reputation, even though it sells well, uh, he has this way of portraying his characters and developing his plots in ways that feel real, even if like silly things are happening, but he always has these like central questions and moral dilemmas that his protagonists have to deal with. And uh, especially in this series, the Kenzie and Gennaro, like private investigator series, which Gone Baby Gone is a part of, you can see their growth throughout each book and the different moral dilemmas that they're faced with in each one. There you go. So, That'll be in a month's time. Hopefully we'll have some more bonus episodes for you. In the meantime, we've been doing our best to find what we can. If there's any recommendations from you guys, please let us know. You can email us at, what is our email? KendallBookworms at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you guys. Any comments? Yeah, we are running out of ideas. I let, My latest idea was reading a book where a girl falls in love with a pillow. So that's that's where I'm at. <laughs> My God, help them, please. <laughs> please don't make me do the homework. Uh, we have an Instagram at Kendall Bookworms. You can also DM us there if you would like. We have a website on Podbean. Look that up in the show notes because I don't know our website address. <laughs> you suck as a teacher. I do suck as a teacher. Good thing I'm not a teacher. <laughs> uh, what else do we have for social media presence? Anything, Alex? Please just contact them because when you do, it makes them feel important and yeah, they squeal we like little people. Like Let little us know children. how we're doing. This Not is the 10th book that we've done this year. So we're for official episodes. So as we're winding down, we want to know how we're doing. What do you think of the show? It's only six books left. Do you yeah, want a season, season two? One. Be prepared for season two. Do you want a season two? Tell them that. Yeah. Let us know if you want a season two. Tell us if you want more Becky. We'll uh, force her to read more of these books. Tell us if you want only Becky. And we'll make her read all the books. (laughs) I will read my own list. Thank you very much. So, yeah. Anything else, Alex? Any last notes? Well, that's all from me. Okay. Becky, you have any words of wisdom? Donate your body. Yes, donate your body. Okay. That's all. We're out. Well, until next time, I'm Alex. I'm Joe. I'm Becky. And this has been Bookworms. Bye, worms. (laughs) 